Take your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. We continue this money, uh, our study this morning, the book of Philippians. We find ourselves in Philippians 3, focusing this morning on these very familiar verses in Philippians 3, verses 10 through 11. Now, we have spent three weeks on verses 1 through 11 in Philippians 3. It was not my intention to spend this many weeks on this text, uh, but the truth is, is that every single part of this text is calling us uh, to something that I think is significant for every one of us as believers and specifically for the life of our church right now. In verses 10 and 11, every time I read them, I feel in my heart a desire to understand them more. You know, the fact is, is that sometimes when we come to very familiar verses, they're familiar for a reason, because they're great verses, yet the familiarity of them causes us to read them quickly and skim past them and fail to recognize the depth and significance of them. So it has been my prayer that when we come to these familiar verses, that we might see them in a new and a fresh way. They're significant right here at the end of this statement by the Apostle Paul, because as we know, the Apostle Paul in verses 1 through 11 is given a bit of his testimony. The fact that when he met Jesus, his entire value system changed. Everything he once viewed as treasure, he now views as trash. And everything he once viewed as trash, he now views as treasure. That when he met Jesus, he discovered the surpassing value of Jesus Christ. He did not simply see Jesus as the means by which he could get to heaven. He saw Jesus as the greatest treasure he could ever possess. And because he saw the value of Jesus Christ, he then began to make his life pursuit to know Jesus Christ more. Again, when you come to the place that you see Jesus Christ of greatest value and of more value than anything else in all of life, the response to that would then be, I want more of Jesus because he's worth more than anything else I could ever receive. That the Apostle Paul refuses to be satisfied with anything less than all that he can get of Jesus Christ. And that's really the heart of Philippians 3, 10, and 11. If you're there at that text, say amen. amen. Listen to these words, Philippians 3, I'll just read 10 and 11 this morning. That I may know him, and the power of his resurrection... And may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, it is important for us when we study a text of scripture to not only look at the words of the text, but to try to understand the heart of the text. God does not speak in a monotone voice. God speaks throughout Scripture in different tones of voices to communicate different things. And so it is, we look at a text and we say, well, based on the context, text, well, what is the feel of this verse? And as we read verses 1 through 11 and we come to the end of Paul and his constant statements of the value of Jesus Christ, then verses 10 and 11 are not simply a statement of desire to know Christ. It is a statement of deep longing. The emotion of this text is Paul saying, oh, that I, might, that I might know him, that I might gain more of Christ. Oh, God, my one desire, my greatest aim, there is nothing I want in all of life more than to know you better. 
As I study this text, I think about the words of C.S. Lewis in his book, The Weight of Glory. Listen to what he says. He says, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the reward promised to us in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what it meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Isn't it true? There is a God that is offering us the fullness of joy. He is offering us himself fully. He wants to give all of himself to us and there is in our hearts, all of us, a longing and a desire for more, an insatiable desire for more. We always feel it. There is always a calling and a desire in our heart. I need more. I need more. I need more. And it is God who has placed that desire in your heart. But that desire can only be fulfilled by going after Christ. And yet we are far too easily pleased because we try to meet that desire with all things of lesser value than Jesus Christ. The truth is... Most of us are far too easily pleased. We want enough of Jesus to get us to heaven, but not much more. We want enough of Jesus to keep up appearances, but not much more. We want enough of Jesus to make us feel good about ourselves and not to be riddled with guilt, but not much more. We want enough of Jesus to keep us from absolutely wrecking our lives, but not that much more. And what we have here in Philippians 3, 10, and 11 is the heart cry of a man who is not too easily pleased. He wants more of Jesus Christ. And, I, and given the context, what this is meant to be is a picture of the heart cry of every believer who through their understanding of the gospel and study of God's word has come to see the value of Jesus Christ. And through life experience has realized that nothing satisfies but Jesus. And out of that understanding that there is nothing that we could ever have in all of life better than Jesus Christ, here is a heart cry of desire to know more of him. And it's not simply a statement by the Apostle Paul. It is a model for us. Because in verse 17, the Apostle Paul is going to say, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. The, the Apostle Paul is going to walk through his own personal testimony and say, now, now, brothers, follow me. Follow my example of pursuing Jesus Christ. So this is here for us to imitate. So, so here's my desire this morning. My desire in my prayer is, is twofold. First of all, that we might understand what Paul means in verses 10 and 11. And that we might ask that somehow by God's grace, he might put the same longing in our heart. Because I'm going to call you to this longing. Now, I, I can't stir this longing up in you. God has to do that. I, I've mentioned to this, I know I mentioned it a couple of weeks on Wednesday night. Part of my testimony is coming to a place in high school, and this only makes sense if you've experienced this where I wanted to want Jesus more, 
but the want wasn't there. Jesus, I don't, I don't want other things. I want you, but I need you to put the want in my heart. What I would say is this. The prayer that we need to have this morning is, Lord, I, I want this kind of longing. I, I want to long for Jesus more. I want to see Jesus as of greater value. And I'm praying that God would stir that longing up in your heart to simply understand that every single thing the world might offer you except for absolute intimacy with Jesus Christ will always disappoint you. So what does it mean and what is this calling us to? The first thing is this. I would encourage you to write this down that you might continue to meditate and pray on it. The first one is this. Let us long to know him intimately. Let us long to know him intimately. That's what Paul means when he says, that I may know him. Now, the Apostle Paul, when he says that I might know him, could not simply be talking about mental knowledge. He could not just be talking about an understanding of God and who he is. The Apostle Paul, at this point, had already written the book of Romans, the greatest Theological minds throughout church history spend their entire lives trying to understand the depths of what Paul wrote in the book of Romans. Paul is not simply asking for more knowledge. He's not simply asking for more experience. He's already told us in 2 Corinthians 12 that he has been given by God, allowed by God, a thorn in the flesh to keep him from being arrogant because the experiences he had with God were so dramatic. He tells us that he had been taken by God into the third heavens in a vision. We don't even know what that is. Paul had had incredible experience. He had more knowledge. He's not simply saying, I want more knowledge. I want more experience. And yet, think about this. If there's anyone that might come to a place where they're satisfied, it could be the Apostle Paul, with having written the book of Romans, knowing what he knows about God, having had an experience where he was taken in a vision to the third heavens, it's hard to believe that here, after all of that, he is still crying out like King David in Psalm 42, in which he says, like a deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you. Here's a man with that knowledge and that experience still longing for more of God. You say, well, what is it that he's longing for? He's longing for relational intimacy. He's longing for a type of of oneness that is beyond simply knowing about God that goes all the way to a practical, real-life experience of intimacy with Jesus Christ. Now, I need you to think about this with me for just a moment. I want you to think about the different types of relationships that God invites us into. If you're with me this morning, say amen. amen. All of us begin in our relationship with God, in a master-servant relationship. All of us. Because the first call of Christ is come and follow me. And we trust that Jesus Christ alone is the way, and by faith we choose to follow him. He becomes our Lord, and we submit to his lordship. He is our master. All of us begin that way. That is the way we begin in our relationship. If you do not believe that he is Lord, and if you do not choose to trust and follow him, then you're not a believer. So it all begins that way. And 
we continue throughout our lives in a master-servant relationship. This is why the Apostle Paul still calls himself in Philippians 1 a servant of Jesus Christ because he still sees that Jesus is the master. But it was never God's intention that we only understand him as a master. He invites us, listen, into a deeper relationship with that. Because we're also told that he's inviting us into a family relationship. Now, when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, they were shocked by the fact that he invited them to say, Our Father who art in heaven. But Jesus was trying to get them to understand that, yes, God is high and exalted and holy and unlike anyone else, yet he is inviting you into the family. As Romans chapter 8 verse 16 reminds us that God's spirit, listen, is speaking to our spirit, telling us that we are children of God. We have been adopted into the family of God. We get all the rights and privileges and inheritance of being children. He is inviting us into the family. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 11 says, Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers. And so God is saying, listen, I am your master and Lord, but I also am your father. And one of the most beautiful things that can happen, and I've seen this happen so many times, particularly in in prayer meetings, and when all of a sudden the light comes on in someone's head, and for the very first time, they begin to understand the Father love of God. They have always seen God as holy and high and exalted and lifted up, but all of a sudden they begin to see him as a good, precious, loving, heavenly Father who is expressing his love to every one of you. It's a deeper relationship. But it it doesn't stop there. In John 15, 15, Jesus says, listen, I no longer call you slaves. I call you friends. So master, servant, and then all of a sudden this family relationship, this father, son, and then Jesus is calling us into a friendship where we enjoy one another, where we're honest with one another, we're vulnerable with one another, that because he is our friend, we can express our heart to him and know that as we express our heart to him, he is going to listen and be there. When we get into a friendship with God, it is that desire to just listen, to just be alone with him. In the same way that our heart longs for a good friend, Jesus wants to be that friend. And he says, I'm calling you my friends. And so Jesus is calling us deeper and deeper into a friendship. But it doesn't end there. He's calling us into a passionate love relationship with him. To go even deeper, a place of reckless affection, of deep passion and desire and longing, where we can honestly say, there is no place I would rather be than with Jesus Christ, where you know that he treasures you and you treasure him and you are satisfied with him and there is a desire for intimacy with him that you cannot even explain. He is calling us into this love relationship. Now listen to me. Sadly, most believers never go beyond the master-slave relationship with Jesus Christ. They never go beyond simply understanding Jesus as a master. So because of that, they do not know him well, and they do not enjoy him because they see him as distant and heavy-handed. Do we always need to walk with him as our master? Absolutely. But he is inviting you into the family. He is inviting you to be a friend. He is inviting you into this intimate love relationship with him. There's so many people who never come to know true intimacy with Jesus. I I tell you, one one of the greatest 
examples, I think, of this is I've noticed over the years, and my experience is, is mostly just in Baptist realm, and so I've noticed in Baptist churches that we love to sing songs that declare the holiness, the greatness of Jesus. We love declarative songs. You are, you are, you are. Where we start to feel a bit more uncomfortable is on the more intimate songs when we're expressing this love relationship with God. It feels uncomfortable to us. It, it, it feels too casual. I've actually had people say to me, that, that feels disrespectful to talk to the Lord in such a way where you say, Lord, I just I long for you. I want to be closer to you. I, I want intimacy with you. And the reason is, is because in our minds, we have not gone beyond where it all began, and we have not entered into a deeper, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. This is exactly what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, I, I want a oneness with Christ. An intimacy with Jesus, where I am fully known, and I love to simply be with him. You know, Andrea and I um, enjoy each other. We're, we're very compatible. I'm thankful that God has, has put us together. But one of the struggles we often have is we have a tendency uh, to be just kind of co-workers together. This is kind of our default position. Have you ever heard it explained that in marriage, there are couples that are back-to-back, -back, meaning they're not getting along, they're side-to-side, -side, they're kind of moving in the same direction, or they are face-to-face, -face, which means they're intimate. Oh, Andrea and I's tendency, our kind of default position, is to be side-by-side. -side. We get along together, we work well together, and there's a lot to do at our house. We have five children. So, <laughs> bedtime routine, she's got to do her thing, i got to do my thing, we got to knock this thing out, get it done. But if we're not careful, we will kind of enter into a season of just being co-workers. And if you're married, you, you understand what that means. But do you realize, for me to only see Andrea as a co-worker and a helper is actually to diminish her value? Because she is not simply a worker. She is someone who is an actual person who has feelings and emotions and needs and wants to be known and needs to be known. And needs to be engaged in that way. So I diminish her worth by only seeing her as a co-laborer. And the problem is, listen, we do the exact same thing in our relationship with Jesus Christ. To only see him as the master. To only see him as the Lord. To only see him as the boss. Is to diminish his value. We are called to pursue him as a person. Listen to me carefully. The Christian life is not simply a call to greater obedience. It is a call to greater intimacy with Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is not a distant, impersonal force. Jesus is a person that wants to be known. We, we, we diminish his worth by only coming to him as master and not enjoying him as father and coming to him as a friend and longing for this love relationship with him. And what Paul is saying is this, I want intimacy with Jesus Christ. And what he's going to say next week is that as a result of that, I am going to pursue that intimacy. Listen, are you, are you longing for something more for life, are you longing for something more? If you're longing for something more and you're a believer, it's because God in his grace has put in your heart a longing for something more. That is a good feeling to have, but just know this, God put it there that you might go 
deeper with Jesus. So don't run away, run to him. I'm calling us this morning to long to know him more intimately. But the second thing is this, and write this down, not only do we need to long to know him more intimately, let us long to experience his power. Write that down. Let us long to experience his power. It's the next thing he says, that I may know him, meaning an intimate relationship with him, and the power of his resurrection. Maybe a better translation would be this, the power which is demonstrated in his resurrection. That makes it make a little bit more sense. The same power that was demonstrated in the resurrection of Jesus is the power that I want to, I want to know. I want to know that same power. Now, it doesn't take long to read through the Gospels to realize that Jesus has power. <laughs> he has power over nature. He has power over sickness. He has power over death. He has power over demonic spirits. He even has power over his own death. He says in John 10, 18, no one takes my life from me. I lay my life down and I'll pick it back up again. Now, that's the ultimate expression of power, that I'm only going to die when I choose to die and I can bring myself back to life. So there is no question of the power of Jesus. What Paul is saying here is that that same type of power I want, I want to know. And he really says it in, in two ways. He wants to know that power in his death. Look at verse 11. That by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He brings back the resurrection from verse 10. What he's saying is this, is that, that I want to know that when I die, I will be eternally united with Christ. I long for that full experience of 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul says those who are united with Christ will be raised with him. If you're united in his death, you'll be united in his resurrection. So listen, if you want to experience resurrection life, meaning after you die and Christ comes back, you want to be raised with him and spend eternity with him in heaven, the only way to experience that then is to give your life to him now. That's how that works. Those who die with him are joined with him in his resurrection. So Paul is looking forward and he's saying, listen, I want by any means possible to attain the resurrection from the dead. I want to be raised with him. And Paul, by faith, believes that he will experience that. But he's talking about more than that. Because look when he says in verse 10, I want to know intimately the power of your resurrection. He's saying Listen, I, I want the very power of God to rest upon me, the transforming, changing power of God. I want his power over sin. I want his power over temptation. I want his power in my marriage. I need the power of God. Like Things are beyond my ability to control. I need the power of God. Two Wednesday nights ago when we finished our series on the Great Commission, preparing for door-to-door, -door, we preached Acts 1-8. And we talked about the fact that you've got Peter who denied Jesus Christ three times, who was asked by a little slave girl if he knew Jesus, and he said no. And he's the same Peter who in Acts chapter 2 is preaching the gospel with boldness and thousands of people get saved. And you say, what's the difference in that Peter and the one who preached in Acts 2? The difference is this, the power of God resting on him. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. There is no area of your life that you can handle on your own outside of the power of God. You cannot be married well without the power of God resting on your life. 
every effort we make going door to door will be useless unless we knock on that door clothed in the power of God. You say, well, how do you know that? Because Acts 1-8 declares that that's true. Don't go anywhere until the Spirit comes upon you. And what Paul is saying is this, in my own struggle against sin, in my struggle against my emotions, I am desperate to experience the fullness of the power of God. This was big for Paul. He talks about it in Ephesians 1. Of course, the familiar verses in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, where he's saying that God is able to do exceedingly beyond anything we could ever ask or think according to the power that works within us. That it is, it is the desire of God that your daily life be an experience of his power. That you are able to fight sin with the power of the Holy Spirit. You are able to fight the lies of the devil by the power of the Holy Spirit. You are able to handle the most difficult and painful circumstances by the power of the Spirit. You can be a faithful spouse by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can be a satisfied single by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can be a pure and holy student by the power of the Holy Spirit, but only by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul says, I, I want to be holy. I want to receive as an empty vessel the filling of your spirit that I might know your power all over me and through me. God, I, I want to know more of you intimately and I want to know more of your power. So let us long to experience that power. It's available to you. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is available for you. It comes to those who hunger and thirst for it and go after it. The last one is this. Let us long to know him intimately. Let us long to experience his power. Write this down. Let us long to enter into his suffering. Let us long to enter into his suffering. That I may know him intimately, that I may know the power of his resurrection, and here it is, and I may share in his suffering. Let us long to enter into his suffering. Now, it's so interesting that Paul uses the word share there, and if you circle or underline in your Bibles, that's a word that I would encourage you to highlight, because it's probably the most important word in the book of Philippians. It's the one that the Apostle Paul uses in Philippians 1.5 when he talks about your partnership in the gospel. It is the same one he uses in chapter 4, verse 14, when he talks about the way in which they have shared in his trouble. He says, it was kind of you to share my trouble. Paul's talking to the Philippians. What does he mean? He says, well, the Philippians knew that Paul was suffering. They knew that he was in prison. They knew he needed financial help. And so what did they do? They shared in his suffering by supporting them. So Paul takes that exact same word, which means to willingly and actively engage in something. And he says this, Lord, I want to willingly and actively engage and share in your suffering. Now that, that is an amazing statement. Because Isaiah 53 tells us that Jesus was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, despised and rejected by men. And Paul, knowing the life of Jesus, says, Jesus, I so desperately want to know you, I want to enter into your suffering. Now, why would he say that? Because he knows that the rejection of Jesus and the suffering of Jesus was such a part of his life. Listen, you will never fully know Jesus until you know something of his sorrow and suffering. When Andrea was diagnosed with cancer, Andrea's father who is a pastor in Lilburn, Georgia. One day, 
got his church directory and called every single person in his church that he knew had cancer or had ever had cancer before and apologized to them. Because he said, listen, when you first told me you had cancer, I didn't understand. And I prayed for you, but it didn't mean that much to me. But now that my daughter has cancer, I'm starting to understand more of what you felt. And I just want to apologize to you that I did not feel for you and empathize with you the way that I should. You know what he was doing? He is sharing in their suffering. Why? Because he has experienced some of their suffering. And the only way you can come to know a part of Jesus is by knowing him in his sorrow and suffering. So listen carefully. Listen, please. The one thing we all want to avoid is the sorrow and the suffering of Jesus Christ. Yet do you realize there is a certain part of Jesus we will never fully understand unless we engage with him in his suffering and sorrow. Suffering and sorrow is not always pointing to the fact that you have done something wrong it is pointing to the fact that god wants more of you and he wants you to know more of him and so through his suffering and through his sorrow he is inviting you into a relationship with him it is not sufficient to simply say we want to know his power and not want to know his pain and you know how this works in the church there is a fellowship of those who've had miscarriages you, you, you get it. You, you know each other. There's a, a fellowship of those who have been divorced. There's a fellowship of those who have never been married. There's a fellowship of those who have had a spouse or a child who has died or who have cared for an aging parent. There's just a fellowship that you have. You're, you're sharing something together. And what Paul is saying is this. Jesus, I want to know everything about you. And your suffering and sorrow was such a significant part of your life. I am saying to you, I long to know all of you. And if what that means is that I experience suffering and sorrow, let it be if it is the entrance to understanding you more intimately. This is the depth of his longing to know Christ. And listen, he even believes that even with the sorrow and the suffering, knowing Christ is even better than whatever pain that might be. That it's better. That Jesus is better. So I will stick with it. I will go through the hard times. I will not give up. Why? Because I believe on the other side, Jesus is better. Let me look at this one last phrase and we'll be done. Listen. He says, becoming like him in his death. Do you see that? At the very end of verse 10, becoming like him in his death. What Paul means here is a daily practical experience of dying to self. I, I want to be like him in his death. I want to experience the continual death to self. 1 Corinthians 15, 31, Paul says, I die daily. 2 Corinthians 4, 10 it says this, Paul says, I'm always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Why? So the life of Jesus might also be manifested in our bodies. So here's how this works on a daily life. As I choose to die to myself, to die to the lies of the enemy, to die to temptation, every moment I die, I experience a little more of the life of Christ. It is the great paradox of Christianity that the entrance into life is always through death. So I die in order that I might live. Great 19th century missionary George Mueller said it this way. Listen, he said, there was a day when I died, utterly died. I died to George Mueller. His opinions, his preferences, his taste, and his will. I died to the world, its approval. I died to the approval or blame even of my brethren and friends. And since then, I have studied only to show myself approved unto God. He died that he might 
This is what Paul's saying, is that, that I am going to die to self in order that I might experience the life of Christ. By faith, it all goes back to faith. By faith, I believe that Jesus is better. Do you know that everything I'm talking to you about is a matter of faith? Do you believe enough that Jesus is better than anything to pray this prayer? I want to know you, I want to know your power, and I want to know your suffering. Why? Because I believe that what I'm going to get as a result is better than anything it would cost me. You know, the truth is, it's impossible to say that it costs to be a Christian because to really cost means that you don't get something better in return. There's really no sacrifice because everything you give up, you get something better. That's not, that's not a sacrifice. He's saying, listen, sacrifice that you might receive something better and the better is me. Let me just say this and I'll be done. Do you know why it's easier to fill up Bible studies than it is to fill up prayer meetings and evangelistic efforts. Because it's just easier to know about him and not actually know him. Listen, if, if we offered 15 Bible studies, they'd all fill up. But prayer meetings, evangelistic efforts just don't fill up the same way. Why? Because it's just easy to know him. In that kind of mental assent to who he is, but God is calling you to something more. He is calling you to not settle for anything less than absolute intimacy with him. And the Apostle Paul is writing to us, listen, he is writing to us for a Roman prison, and he's saying this. He's saying this, it's worth it. It's worth it. He's saying it's worth it. It's worth it to know me. Because there's nothing better that you can ever possess than Jesus Christ. And as you choose to walk in intimate fellowship with him, you will know more of him. And you will be able to say with the Apostle Paul, there is nothing better than Jesus. I beg you to believe it by faith and pursue it. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.